0: The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the reading of God's word from the book of Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad Abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first then Jacob made a vow saying if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I will go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all of that and all that you give I will give a full tenth to you This is the reading of God's word
1: Thank you, Jim. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor around here. I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. We have a, a visitor forum directly following this service um, next door in the cottage. If you are new to Sacred City or you're, uh, maybe you've been new since Easter or for the past few months and you want to hear a little bit more about our vision, our values, what we do around here, we would welcome you. There's going to be a light lunch provided and um, I'll be there and you'll be able to ask me questions if you want to ask questions or, or whatever. So hopefully I'll see you over there after the service. I'm going to go ahead and pray and, and jump in today. Father, I thank you for the gift that you've given us of your word. Uh, We are like blind people wandering around, um, bumping into things. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to get to heaven. We don't know how to know God or we don't know anything really about God. We have this weird sense that there's a God, but we don't know anything about you other than what you've revealed to us in your word. Father, you have given us your word so that we might know you. And that's a gift to us that we can know not just that there is a God out there, but we can know what that God is like. We can see and we can read and we could come to know your attributes and your character because you're so much different than the God that we create in our own mind. So I ask today through your divine, divinely inspired word, I ask that you would speak through me. That you would think through my mind, that you would feel through my heart, that you would communicate what you want to communicate to these, your sheep, your people. And Father, this would um, be about you, it would be about your glory. And that you would even touch our ears and anoint our ears so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to us, your church. I pray all these things in the name of Christ, for God's glory and our joy. Amen. Today we're going to continue studying the book of Genesis. We're obviously in the 28th chapter, and we're studying one of my favorite men in all the Bible. Um, if you've been around the past couple of weeks, you've, pre- you've been introduced to this guy named Jacob. Okay, Jacob is a shrewd dude, right? He's the type of guy who wins the reality TV show because he's willing to do just about anything to win, right? Jacob is in it to win it right? Jacob lived by the motto, if you want something in this world, you better reach out and take it. It's up to you to make it happen. Things aren't just going to happen on their own. Don't just sit back and watch life go by. Take it, grasp it, go get it, earn it, make it happen. When I was in high school, our football coach painted this on the wall, four foot letters, make it happen. Make it happen. That was the motto. Get out there. Your destiny's out there. Go make it happen. Jacob lives by the motto. It's a dog eat dog world. And it's better to be the dog who's eaten than the dog who's getting eaten, right? I like Jacob because he reminds me of myself. He sets his mind to something and he makes it happen. When I was in high school, I spent 28 days at the toughest wrestling camp in the nation. I had to skip prom my junior year to pay for it. I didn't see my family for over a month. I had four practices a day and I walked away from that camp receiving the most coveted award of the camp. See, my whole life was wrapped up and around wrestling. It was my way to be somebody. It's the way that I found my validation as a person. It's what I did, it's what I was good at, it's where I got my attaboys. So because of my whole identity was wrapped up into wrestling, I was willing to do, to do just about anything to be good at it. You got in my way? <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. I was, well, I'm not even, I'm, I can't get into it too much. It's not about me. This is why I resonate so deeply with Jacob. Jacob was a man who was so desperate for validation that he's willing to dress up like somebody else to get it. You saw that last week, Sam did a great job talking about that last week. He's a man who's so desperate for validation, so desperate for approval, so desperate for the attaboy of someone outside of himself that he's willing to put on somebody else's clothes. He's willing to dress up and look like somebody else and smell like somebody else. And right here in this moment, marketing was born right? That's what the culture sells us, right? You want to look like this person? Put these clothes on. You want to be popular like this person? Smell like this. Wear this and everybody will flock. I mean, the funniest one now are these ax commercials, right? Just blatantly obvious. Men spray this on you and women will fall at your feet wanting to sleep with you, right? This is where it begins, See, Jacob lived by the motto, and Jacob was shaped by the thought. I'll be, and listen, I want to see what you I think many of us are going to resonate with this. I'll be whoever you want me to be. Just tell me I'm loved. I'll be whoever you want me to be. Just tell me I'm accepted. Give me that at a boy or at a girl. See, this story still speaks very loudly to the culture that we live in. Our culture says, choose an identity. That means locate a person that you would like to be. Okay? There's a lot of ways to do that now. It used to be a lot more difficult. You used to have to like read books to do this. Okay? Now you can just scroll pictures. Right? I like that. I want to be that person. I want to have kids like that. I want to have a house like that. I want to have clothes like that. I want people to say that about me. See, just look through the culture, find a person that you want to be, and then go be it. Put the picture on your wall, put it on your desktop, put it on your screensaver, put it on your home screen, and go out and work the rest of your life to become that person. Go do it. Go achieve it. Be a self-made man or woman. And it's into this culture, this, this culture, this natural culture of performance that we need to hear the gospel that's found in this passage in Genesis today. See, if you've been around with us for a while, you would know. Genesis tells us that us, every single one of us, has been made in the image of God. And one thing, this is just one thing that that means, is that we are created to image him. Right? In a sense, we were created to reflect God, to reflect his nature, to reflect his characters. I want to say incommunicable, or his communicable attributes, okay? But that might be um, too theological. The things that, the good things about God, some of those things can be reflected through our life. We're meant to do that. We're meant to reflect his nature, his character, his creativity. But what we do instead... Actually, look to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Okay, now look to the person next to you and say, Andy's talking to me. Okay, I'm just clearing that up right now. All right, Listen, what we do instead... This is what we do instead. We try... Willingly or unwillingly, we push God out of the way and we say, who are you to tell me who I am? I'm an American and I want to choose the type of person that I'll be. I want to decide what my identity will be. I'm in charge of who my my identity is going to be. I get to choose that. But since we can't change the way we were created... Okay? We can't change that. We are still made to reflect something so that when we turn away from God, all we do is replace Him with something else. Okay, This is what I mean. In a sense, we're all mirrors. That's what we do. We were made to shine our mirror, to point our mirror towards God... And, and his goodness and his grace and his nature was meant to reflect off of us and shine to the culture around us. So people would look at us and say, oh, that's what God's like. He's incredibly gracious. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly long-suffering. He's incredibly good. That's what God is like. Oh, and they see it and it bounces and it reflects up to God and they give God glory. But what we do, and when we say, hey, God, you know what? I don't really want your way. I don't really want to know about you too much. I want to do things my own way. I want to create my own identity. What we do is we turn that mirror. And what do mirrors do? They reflect whatever's in front of them. That's what they do, right? So what happens is now we don't stop imaging something, we just image something less good than God. That's what happens. Right? So, it, so what our life does is it begins to reflect something other than God. And what we're going to see is that's exactly what happens with Jacob. So instead of receiving a gracious identity from God, like our liturgies said and like our songs said, instead of receiving that identity, we say, by turning our worship, by turning our mirror, we say, I need to go find my identity. I need to go earn it. I need to go out and be. I need to make it happen. We turn from Him and we look to something in our culture, and this is what we do. This is the mirror. Yes, that's living. That's what we do. We look to something other than God and we say, that's what it means to live. That's what it means to be happy. That's what it means to be successful. I want to be like them. I want to have what they have. We see that and we go to work trying to make it happen. And one of the scariest things about us trying to go and earn an identity. This is what's scary. Oftentimes, it works. You you, you can do that you're made to reflect something. You're made to image something. So if you turn that mirror towards your favorite movie star or towards your favorite athlete or towards your favorite preacher or towards your favorite homeschooling mom or towards your favorite hardworking businessman, you, you turn that, you can do it. You can reflect that. You can become that person. You can earn that identity. You get the education. You get the relationship. You get the powerful job. You get the success that you were hoping for. And now you've got the title. But what you don't realize is in the process of turning your mirror, in the process of turning your worship, in the process of becoming someone different, what you don't realize is the process has done something to you. In the process, something's happened to you. You don't even realize it. this this is what should scare us. None of us know it. That's why we need other people and we need the word of God, the perfect mirror to say, whoa, we're jacked up. We need other people to say, whoa, we don't even realize we've done it. But this is what happens. In the process of worshiping something else and trying to go out and earn an identity somewhere else, you've become hard. See, we sang a song or that we were about being stiff necked people. You you know, when God said that God said that to his people, when they turned their worship from him and they worshiped a golden calf, a golden thick stick, stiff necked calf by worshiping that thing, they became like that thing stiff necked golden calves. Can't turn their heads very well, right? we become like what we worship. So in this process of worshiping something else and creating this identity, you become hard. You're more cynical than you used to be. You're more proud. When you look out at others, you begin to look down on all those who haven't achieved like you have. This is all to say. This is how I'm going to sum it up today. This is all to say that heaven is closed to you. Heaven is closed to you. That's how you you're living your life. See, you've turned, and you're reflecting something else, and now you're a stranger to grace. You're an outsider to God's mercy. You don't feel a deep sense of gratitude over the life that you've given because ultimately, you know that your current identity and your station in life has been created through your own determination and in your own hard work. God didn't get me through college. I did. God didn't get me this job. I did. I interview real well. I work hard. I had good references. I put in the time. Look at me and do like me. You want to be successful? Act like me. We're str- we become strangers to grace. You want good kids? Do what I do. You want a good marriage? Watch me. And this is exactly what we see here in the life of Jacob. I'm going to give you a brief outline because we're going to. I need to catch you up a little bit from last week. Because it's kind of a, it's kind of a part two. Number one, first thing we see is De- Jacob is a man who's desperate for an identity. Because he doesn't receive, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He doesn't have his mirror pointed to God. And his father sins against him. And his father hurts him. And his father doesn't give him the love and validation that a father is meant to give. His father sins against him. So what Jacob does is what many times sinners without the grace of God do. Sinners respond sinfully. To being sinned against. So Jacob turns his mirror and says, I got to find an identity. I didn't get it from my dad. I don't have a relation with God. I got to turn my mirror. I got to find something to worship. Sam did a great job covering that last week. Uh, Jacob was unloved by his father and he was looking for a way to fill that hole. I know many of us resonate with that. He needed validation. He needed blessing. He needed leadership, but he was sinned against by his father. So what Jacob does is Jacob turns his mirror. He sins against God. He sins in order to achieve that identity. He goes out and he starts to scheme. Remember, he dresses up like somebody else. He sins against God. He sins against his father. He says, you won't give me the validation that I want. He doesn't pray. He doesn't fall on his knees and say, oh, God, help me. I need you. I need to know who I am in you. I, I need your grace. I need your goodness. No, he schemes. He goes out and tries to earn the identity that he wants. He says, fine. He you're not going to give it to me. I'll steal it. I'll take it. So number one, he, he's desperate for an identity. Number two, he schemes in order to get it. But here's the key. Number three, Jacob isn't happy because he's a stranger to grace. Heaven is closed to him. There's no communion. Up until this moment, there's been no communion between him and God. We even saw it in the last Chapter where he's, he's speaking to his dad and he goes, hey, it's Jake. Hey, how'd you kill that animal so fast? He goes, oh, your God gave me success. Well, Whose God? He doesn't say our God. He doesn't say my God. He says your God. See, Jacob is an outsider to grace. He's an outsider to God. He doesn't have a relationship with the Father. Heaven is closed to him. Everything he's gotten in life has been through his own blood, sweat, and Ponzi schemes. And this is what I want us to see today. When we choose to live our lives like this, when we turn from the worship of the real God to find an identity somewhere else, we become like this. Listen, this is how I want to describe it. We become become black holes. Black holes, anything that falls into a black hole, it just disappears, right? just absorbs it right it's never ending people who have this hole in their soul people who can't find their identity in christ and they turn that to other things they become relational black holes so desperate for the love and approval of heaven but only heaven can give it. But since heaven is closed to them and they're strangers to grace, they try to use people to try to fill that hole. So they have relationships and relationships and relationships and they're needy and they're needy and they're needy and you can love them and love them and love them and they'll take, 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 but it'll never be good enough and they'll never feel loved. And if that's you, you know it. They become successful black holes. They need more success and more success and more success and more success. They become financial black holes. They need more money and more money and more money and more money. That's what happens when we turn our identity. How beautiful do you want to be? I think more than likely your answer is more. (laughs) Right? Can I ask you this rhetorical question? How much love do you want? Do you ever just go at the end of the day, I'm loved out. Back off. Honey, just stop. Because I'm, I'm plumb full today. No more. Save that one for tomorrow because it's just. I want you to think about this. We, listen, the, all those questions, they're kind of silly, but they're unquant. The reason I ask them is because they're unquantifiable, but they're, they're speaking of something in our soul. None of it. You know, you never look in the mirror and go, "I'm perfect, sweet," right? And as that as you get older, that progressively gets more true or less true, right? You're like, "Where did that come from?" Right? I got hairs growing out of my ears now. What? Right? You, we're, we want to be more. We constantly crave more. Acceptance, more approval, more beauty, more love. When we're not reflecting God, when we're not in tune, when we don't know our relationship and, our, and our, we're not receiving in a day by day, moment by moment time, receiving our identity from God, we become black holes. And when we begin to look to other people to fill that tank, to fill that hole, you're never going to be full. You're going to be a black hole. People will give and give and give, but you'll always want more. You'll never be happy and the people around you know it. Why? Because your heart was built by God for God. Your soul was built by God for God. God is love, agape, a ridiculous... I mean, he doesn't say he is... I mean, God displays justice. He displays all these different things. But He is love. He is love. And your heart was made for Him to live there, for your mirror to be reflecting and refract just Him. That you get your identity just from Him. He's the only one that your love can be satisfied, your heart can be satisfied in. Your heart... Your soul, whatever you want to describe this part of you, it will never be full until he fills it with himself. And that, my friends, is not a one and done. If you haven't noticed, your love tank has got a leak. And every morning you wake up pretty much on E. And the way to get that filled is to have that mirror reflecting and know your identity in Christ. But we're going to get there. So in Genesis 37 to 38, both these chapters, we see Jacob disconnected from a vital relationship with God and therefore cut off from the heavenly supply of of heart-satisfying love. So heaven is closed to Jacob. This leads him down all kinds of roads, trying to earn an identity with his own scheming and his own self-effort. Jacob is an exhausted man. Is that how you feel this morning? Are you exhausted? Are you tired? Have you been working hard? Does heaven feel closed to you? Do you feel like you're on your own and it's all up to you? Do you feel like no one understands you? Do you feel alone? Do you feel empty? To be left on your own is doesn't feel good. That's how Amanda and I felt on Wednesday night. We were flying back from the Gospel Coalition Conference in Orlando. Uh, it was a great few days away. And uh, we were excited to see our babies, to get home and see our babies. We flew out of Orlando into, it, into the Atlanta airport. Um, our fl- flight was supposed to leave from Atlanta to Moline, 8 p.m., Right? We're going to get home at 10 p.m. Everything's going to be good. You know what happens, right? You, 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 you get to the thing. The gate changes. Oh, crap. Uh-oh. The gate changes again. Oh, no. You finally get there. It's delayed. It's delayed. It's delayed. You're still holding out hope. Midnight comes around. Cancelled flight. This is what the lady does. And I'm not, not joking. And I'm going to use... Let me just do this. This is what the lady from Delta does. Just throw that out there. Not bitter. I'm not bitter or anything. Uh, She says, after she's been progressively, you know, postponing our flight over and over and over and it's not her fault. I get it. But then she does this. "Um, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but your flight has been canceled and you need to find the nearest checkout or you need to find the nearest kiosk to find your hotel reservations and make your flights ready for tomorrow. Just takes off. It's midnight. We're in in a dead airport, an airport that's empty, right? And she just, Drops the mic and go ahead. Deals with it. Takes off. And there's about 90 people like, whoa, whoa, hey, and she's just gone, right? On our own, right? We've got, we've. my parents are out of town. We've had babysitters pretty much all week long. We've got three babies at home. And we're in Atlanta. My wife looks at me. We're renting a car and driving home tonight. And she was dead serious. And I'm like, I will kill us both. I can't stay up that way that long. We felt completely on our own. We felt completely alone. Is that how you feel with God this morning? Do you feel like you're on your own? This is no doubt how Jacob felt. Heaven is closed. God had made some promises to his parents, but but to him heaven had been closed. He was a stranger to grace. He had no visible way into a relationship with God. If he wanted to be somebody, it was up to him. If you want to be somebody in this world, you better take it. You better look out for number one. You better go out and get it. Is that how you feel? Well, you're not alone. Jacob is in the same place. In the last chapter, like I said before, we saw him even say, Your God, he is not he's a stranger to grace, but this is what's so beautiful about God. And this is why I said in in my prayer, we, we don't, we wouldn't believe this. And I would say we can't believe this to be true unless we believe the Bible to be divinely inspired. There are no other gods in the universe that do what we're about to see. And this is the key. If you want to have your life changed and if you want to have your identity that that we all have shifted our identity to something else, if you want to have that pop back, if you want to have that mirror brought back to reflect God and to get your identity from God and to have him fill that hole in your soul, this is, you have to be, number four, you have to be surprised by grace. You have to be surprised by grace. And that's what we see. With Jacob. Let's go to verse 11. <clears throat> Genesis 28, verse 11. So let me just set the stage. He gets kicked out, right? He's, he's on. He's got to go find a wife. He's, he, Esau's trying to kill him. So now Jacob is on the run. His brother has said, I'm going to kill this guy for stealing my blessing. He, you know, Jacob's already, he swindled his brother. He swindled his dad. He's trying to create his own identity. And now we find him. Right now we find him. As a sinner... No relationship with God. His life is at rock bottom. He's on the run. He's camping out under the stars. Listen to this. We're about to say, he grabs a pillow or he grabs a, I'm sorry. He grabs a rock for a pillow. You know, you're busted. If you're looking around going, I guess that rock will work as a pillow. Like if you have a pair of socks, you're using a pair of socks. You're not using a rock. Right? He is at his rock bottom low. And this is what God does. Verse 11. And he came to a certain place. I love it. It's not even named because you know why? It doesn't matter. That's why. Why? It's nowhere's. it's no man's land. It's nowhere, it's anywhere. It doesn't matter. He came to a certain place and there he stayed that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. He's at rock bottom. But look what happens. Verse 12. And he dreamed and behold... There was a ladder, or, or the, a better translation, they go back and forth between ladder and like a wide set of stairs, okay? Stairs kind, sometimes gives us the better analogy because people can go up and down at the same time. A ladder, you think only one person can go up and down at the same time, okay? So it's, it's a, a connection point to heaven. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of that ladder reached into heaven. Whoa! And behold the angels the the messengers of God were going up and down ascending and descending on it and behold the the Lord stood above it and he said I am the Lord the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac Okay so look this is what happens Jacob is at the rock bottom of his life he's been a schemer he's been a deceiver He's been trying to earn an identity. He's on the run alone. Him in his rock pillow. And God, when Jacob is at his worst, God gives him a glimpse of grace. Heaven's been closed to him. And for the first time in his life, he sees a glimpse of the heavens open. There's a way in. Maybe I'm not on my own. Maybe I don't have to do this all by myself. There's a ladder that goes from here to the heavens. And I see the Lord up there. You mean there's a way in? You mean this rotten sinner? who lies and cheats and has been living his life on his own to earn his own identity you mean there's a there's a way in there for a guy like me when i'm here in no man's land with my pet rock what god is giving jacob his first glimpse it's a screen flash it's a snapchat in the gospel of grace here and gone Jacob sees a glimpse of the Lord, but here's the deal. We're all sinful people. We are relational and we're black holes. We're strangers to grace. So listen to this. When Jacob sees this ladder in his dream, he filters the dream through his own imagination or through his own story. He filters the dream through his own story. I want you to hear that. God gives him a glimpse of grace and he filters that through his own story. He thinks, oh, 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 I see. I get it. I get it. A ladder. What are ladders for? I need to climb that. Okay, I get this. I I get what I got. Obviously, God gave me this enormous ladder because he knows I'm an excellent climber. Hey, I came out of the womb with a great grip on my brother's heel. I can obviously grip this ladder. I'll climb that thing. Listen, he's been an achiever. He's been an earner. He's been trying to get his own identity his whole life. And when God gives him a glimpse of grace, heaven's open. There's a ladder. He filters it through his own story. Oh, God obviously sees how hard of a worker I am. He knows. I get it. Give me a ladder. I'll climb that thing. I'm superb. I'm the man. I get this. See, when I was 17 years old, this is how I saw my first glimpse of grace. When God first, poof, took the blinders off my eyes, I looked at the gospel through the eyes of a hardworking wrestler. Oh, I get it. I get it. I need to be really disciplined. Oh, I get it. I need to read my Bible a lot now. Oh, I get it. I need to pray for an hour a day. I get it. Oh, I need to burn all my secular CDs. Dang it. Like three times I did that. Bought them all again. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. There's the ladder. I just got to climb that and I get to God. Eventually I get up there. See, no doubt when Jacob sees this ladder, he's like, oh, I got it. Finally a way in. I'll climb that ladder. I'm ready to do this. I want to see the Lord. Let's go. And guess what? Poof! It's gone. (laughs) I I don't dream. Well, maybe I do, but I don't remember them, right? But think about this. Jacob gets this, he's in a You know, know you're awesome and you're in a dream. He's like, oh, there's a ladder. I will climb this ladder. I will reach to the Lord. I will, poof, wake up. (laughs) Right? Nothing but his rock. His rock is still here. And he's about to have some fun with this rock. Right? Like pretty rock. He makes a big deal about this rock, right? Poof, it's gone. Dream over. The glimpse of grace is gone. Heaven is still closed and the ladder has vanished and I'm still alone and I'm still in the desert and I'm still on the run. I had a glimpse of grace. But this is what's interesting. Even a glimpse, even just that that hint will change you. See, Jacob doesn't get it, but he's no fool. See, I didn't understand the gospel when I became a... This is weird. I became a Christian. God saved me, and I didn't understand the gospel. I saw the ladder, and I think I'm climbing this ladder to him. But I'm no fool. I know God has done something in my life. God has done me. He's captured me. He's saved me. He's said, you're mine. Can I describe it perfectly? No. Was I confused? Yes. Was I saved? Absolutely. See, Jacob doesn't get it. He doesn't get the gospel, but he's no fool. He knows that he's just had an encounter with the real God. He knows he just met him. And you can't just shake that off. But look at verse 17. So Jacob wakes up, or 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. There's a way in. This is the gate. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then look. Jacob Wakes up. Let's just stop here. Jacob wakes up and he starts to worship God. This is good. He's, look, he's moving his mirror. Oh, heaven is open. Oh, there is a way in. Oh, God does know me and God is real. He's moving his mirror. He's realized that heaven isn't totally sealed off. There's a way in. But this is what's so personally encouraging to me. Jacob still doesn't get it. Jacob still can't see the gospel. He can't see the good news about the ladder. See, like so many of us, Jacob has caught a glimpse of grace, but it still doesn't make sense. He's been awakened to another way to live. He's caught a whiff on the breeze of grace, but he still can't wrap his head around it. And we see this in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. Oh, really, Jacob? How nice. How does Jacob respond by seeing a glimpse of grace? With a vow. A vow. Now, I know none of us have ever done this one, right? God, I'll climb the ladder. If you'll do this and this and this and this, I'll serve you forever, right? There's usually like a test you haven't studied for somewhere in there, right? Or a girl who's way out of your league, right? Or there's usually something like that. If you do this for me, God, I'll give you everything forever and ever. See, vows, vows, Vows are self-righteous. Vows are for self-righteous strangers of grace. Vows are for people who are still enamored with their own performance. Vows are for people who greatly overestimate their own ability to obey God and they greatly underestimate the influence of the remaining sin that lives within them. I think the majority of, our, of people in our world view Christianity like this. Here's how you climb the ladder. This is what you do to become a Christian. There's God up there. You wicked sinner, get to climbing. We're like halfway, we think we're halfway up and we're like, right? God saved me because I'm an excellent climber. That's why if you ask people in our culture, I think probably if, if you probably, if I even ask, when I do ask people in our church, are you a Christian? Many times they say, I'm trying. Tim Keller says, if you answer that way, you're not. You don't understand the gospel. You haven't believed the gospel. You haven't been surprised By grace. See, Christianity isn't about trying. There's no trying involved. You're still like Jacob trying to climb the ladder into a relationship or Christian people in this room, or you're still climbing the ladder trying to keep. Trying to stay in, trying to keep your relationship fresh and trying to, trying to, you know, you're saved, but you think now to become like Jesus and to live like a Christian, now you just have to do a lot of climbing, a lot of hard effort, a lot of work, a lot of striving. You're still making vows. You're still issuing promises of obedience God, I'll never do it again. Take away that desire. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Self-righteous. Yes, you will do it again. And he loves you while you're doing it. And he's made provision for you while you're doing it. And the repentance of a sin is just as beautiful in the sight of God as never committing the sin. Write that down. The repentance of a sin is just as beautiful in the eyes of God as never committing the sin. I'll try harder. I'll do better. I promise I won't do that again. Ultimately, you're still trying to be justified through your own self-efforts. Are you a Christian? I'm trying You still don't get it. Listen, how do I get it? In the gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, I am the gate. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. But in John one fifty one, super fascinating text. Jesus says to Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you know, he's the guy. Hey, has nothing. What do you mean? There's a guy from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. He's like, oh yeah, well come, let me, let me see. Jesus walks up and go, hey, this is a man that I know loves God. And Nathaniel's like, yeah, everybody says that about me. Wow, how would you know that? He goes, I saw you when you're underneath the, I saw you when you're underneath that tree. I don't, we don't know what he was doing underneath that tree, but it shocked Nathaniel. Whoa, this is the Son of God. And this is what Jesus says. You think that's awesome? You're going to see something even more awesome than that. I, you're going to see the heavens open and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He quotes this verse that we find in Genesis that Jesus says, I am the ladder, I am Jacob's ladder. See, Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. He's the only way into heaven. He's the only way, listen to this, to bring heaven down here. See, Jesus is the true and better Jacob's ladder. He's, Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. And what Jesus is telling us in John one fifty one is that the ladder, this is what we need to hear. This is what Jacob didn't get. And Jacob will come to understand that, but it's going to take a one-on-one wrestling match with Jesus. And I wish I could, I'm just going to go there because I can't wait to preach on it. But what happens is this ladder, Jesus climbs down the ladder and whoops Jacob. That's what's going to happen. We look at the ladder like Jacob and go, oh, I got to climb that thing. That's what God wants me to do. And every religion in the world gives you all the steps to get to God. Except for Christianity. Christianity says Jesus is the ladder. He climbs down. What Jesus is telling us is that the ladder was meant to bring him to us. The ladder from heaven isn't meant for Jacob or us to try to climb up. The ladder was Christ coming down. But listen to this, for those of us who really enjoy earning and we've gotten used to creating our own identity, we've gotten used to, you know, earning and approval and achieving, we're hard workers. This is tough for us to believe. See, if we climb the ladder, in a sense, it's our own self-effort that has saved us. If we climb the ladder, we get the glory. And not God. And no, listen, I know if you're a Christian in this room, you're like, well, you know, I, I climbed the ladder, but God gave me the ladder. Hey, you know, I just respond. We have all these like ways to try to justify it. God gave us the ladder. But still, even if God gave us the ladder, it's your climbing that saved you. If this is how we think of this is how we think of the gospel, if this is how we think this is this is how we enter heaven, this is how we enter into a relationship with God, or how we continue to relate to God, if this is how we earn an identity, then we're gonna feel okay with treating God the way Jacob did. Thanks for the latter, God. I'll get right after it. Look at the last verse, 22. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Sounds kind of cool. Oh, he's tithing. But let's put it in context. All right, God. If you do this, 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 then I'll obey you and I'll even give you 10%. Think about that. God, here's the deal. You give me 100 give you back 10%. I mean, I got to tip you, right? You did give me the ladder. I mean, yeah, my effort, I climbed, so I get 90, but obviously I should throw you a bone and give you 10%. See how this is. He's still a stranger to grace. Basically, I think this is how we live people that even claim to be Christians because basically we're giving God a little credit for his part in our salvation. So we kind of like, owe him a little, you know, I guess I'll go to church and I guess, you know, maybe I'll give a little bit of money and I guess, you know, maybe I'll maybe share my faith or talk to my neighbor or have a quiet time. We, we owe him. But, but listen, if. So that's the, the version of if God gives us a ladder and he wants us to climb up. That's how our heart will respond to it. But if, on the other hand, God gives us this ladder, not for us to climb up, but for him to climb down. See, what if we're like Jacob? Have you ever tried to climb a dream ladder? Make that happen, right? So we're like Jacob, completely helpless on the ground. Heaven is closed to us. The only way in is to climb a dream ladder. Good luck with that. And instead of Jesus asking us to climb up, he does the unthinkable and Jesus climbs down the ladder and he totally saves us on his own. That is to say that we're saved and sanctified and made right with God and adopted and brought in and loved by 100% grace. But this is what's scary. If that story is true, then he can ask anything from us. And how could we refuse? If everything we have has been given by a gift of grace... And he says, I want you to move to Mali. How could we go? But I've got a good job. If he says, I want you to sell your house. And I want you to move to a lower income part of town. And I want you to be a missionary there. How could we say no? No. He says, "I want to. I want you to. Li- I want you to lay down your rights and serve your brothers and sisters in your missional community. How could we say no? The only way we could say no is if we thought we climbed the ladder. I deserve more than this. I have rights. That's why grace is so freaking scary." Jesus climbed down the ladder and he purchased us as his own on his own. That means our life is no longer our own. We're his. We don't have any rights. We don't deserve anything but judgment. He should have left us down there with our pet rock. Listen, if you're still making deals with God, you don't believe the gospel. If you think that God somehow owes you something, good marriage or finances or healthy kids, whatever it is, you don't believe the gospel. If you don't think God will ask more of you than you're willing to give, you still think that you've climbed the ladder and you deserve some kind of appropriate compensation. God, God, I did climb that ladder halfway. So 50% of this still belongs to me. So let me keep some stuff. Listen, can I ask you, does your relationship with God, honestly, I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I'm talking to you. Does your relationship with God feel more like you climbing ladders? Or does it feel like He's carrying you? Some of us see salvation like Jesus is in a lifeboat and he throws us a rope. That'd be really nice of him. Thank you, Jesus. I grab onto it. And he pulls me to shore. Jesus is my lifeline. How sweet. I think Jesus is far more like a rescue diver. You ever seen the movie, The Guardian? These Coast Guard rescue swimmers, they jump in the water. And you know what the people do when they get to them? They freak out. They think they're dying. They freak out. They fight them. So, you know what the rescue divers do? Boom! Knock them out. Take them. They knock them out to save them. That's how God saves us. That's how the Christian life works. Is He carrying you? Or are you climbing? Listen, this is how you know if you're still climbing the ladder. You see the sin in others as greater than your sin in yourself. You're hard to please. Your kids know it. Your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. The missional community knows it. Your family knows it. You're critical. You're judgmental you can't stay in loving relationships with messy people. What's it going to say about you if you're friends with messy people? Oh, for a church who catches a glimpse of grace. Oh, for a people in awe of the God who would open heaven. Why does he do it? Psalm 1819. He has rescued us because he delights in us. What? He opened heaven, he put a ladder, he climbs down it, Christ is incarnated into our culture. Why? Because he delights in us? What? We we are not delightful people. This is what the church needs to believe. For God, a God who has humbled himself and came and lived the life that all of us fail to live, who worshiped God perfectly every day of his life, and then died the substitutionary death that we all deserve, was ridiculed and labeled and lied about and had an unjust trial. and he was okay with it. This is the gospel. This is what our church needs to hear, this is what our missional communities need to hear. this is what our city needs to hear, this is what our neighbors need to hear. You don't have to climb the ladder. Jesus climbed down so that all that our earning can stop, can cease, can be done with. When Jesus climbed down, he brought all of heaven's gifts with him, a new identity. He brought the love of a perfect father in heaven that you can't earn. That's a gift of grace that will satisfy the black hole of your soul that takes everything and just you need more and more and more and more and more and more. He can satisfy it. Is it a one-time deal? Absolutely not. Is it a moment-by-moment believing the gospel? Yes. He climbed down so that what's up there Love, acceptance, forgiveness, grace, rest, peace, approval. The identity of a son and a daughter in the family of God. He came down so that all that, all of that can be ours because he delights in There's no religion on the face of the planet that's got news better than that. And I pray today that like Jacob, you've caught a glimpse of grace. You've caught a whiff. And it's going to take, listen. I wish we could I wish it was done in one sermon. I wish I could preach it. And you go, give me that. I'll take it. But what we're going to witness in the life of Jacob is it takes a lifetime to believe it. And God is going to, Jesus is literally going to climb down the ladder and rescue swimmer him boom, and rescue, wrestle him. It's going to take a long time. That's why we have missional communities. That's why we live life on life and together with people. We don't believe the gospel. It's too good to be true. And that's why we turn the mirror. I pray that God would shock us with his grace today. Most merciful Father, I have a man like Jacob who desires to worship other things and make his identity on a myriad of other things, primarily on my own self-effort. I even want to relate to you through my own self-effort, how much I've read and how patient I've been this week and how many times I didn't freak out at home or I wanted to define my relationship with you through my own obedience. And Father, that is self-justification and that's me trying to climb a ladder. And I pray that this morning that you would shock us Show us how we're climbing the ladder. Speak to your people now. And give them the faith to believe the gospel that says Christ climbed down for us so that all striving can cease. All climbing can stop. Father, we lean into your grip. We rest in your salvation. You are the God who saves. Jesus, you've never lost a sheep that the Father gave you. We relax in your arms. Carry us to communion with the Father. Carry us to heaven. Carry us to the end of our days and let us serve you and glorify you in our city, in our missional communities, and in our families. As we come to the table this morning, Father, I pray that we would search our hearts, that we would respond as you've shown us our sin and you've shown us our idolatry, that we would respond with repentance. We would turn from it and we would embrace our identity as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ by grace. Shock us this morning. This meal was prepared without our work. Your sacrifice was given to us without our work. Your blood was shed without our work. Your body was broken without our work. You have provided an identity through your sacrifice. You've done it all. Help us believe it in the name of the Savior, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.